The global tokenization market is expected to grow into a 16 trillion opportunity by 2030, one of the fastest growing in financial services. Banks like JP Morgan are leading this revolution and being the first bank to deliver a blockchain platform that makes it easier for institutional clients to move value, information, and digital assets. Hello, and welcome to this fifth edition of our Web 3.0 podcast series. This is Shankar Krishnan from Capgemini. I am responsible for the digital assets and capital markets go to market. In each episode, I speak with financial services leaders about their experiences with topics such as the metaverse, blockchain, digital assets, DeFi, machine learning and AI, and more. Together, we explore how technology is changing the landscape, making it more sustainable and profitable. Today's conversation features Naveen Malela, Managing Director and Global Head of Coin Systems at Onyx, JP Morgan's blockchain business unit. JP Morgan has been a leader and early adopter of blockchain technology for a variety of use cases, and we'll hear from him today on all the progress that is being made and how the future of the industry is being shaped leveraging blockchain as an enabler. Naveen, our sincere thanks for sharing part of your day with us and educating our global audience on some of the use cases that are topical. Let me set the field for you here by sharing what are some of the extremely active conversations we have in the market side, especially on the institutional side. And it'll be good to hear your views on how you are reacting at JP Morgan to some of those. We see a lot of action on CBDC design, both wholesale and retail, several initiatives leveraging blockchain for trade finance, creating liquidity pools and leveraging deposit tokens to transact value, saving costs to all involved, distribution of assets on the blockchain, creating efficiencies prior to tokenization so that the digital asset strategy can really work, not to mention regulatory initiatives like T plus one readiness, cross-border payments, and so on. Given this, what are some of the initiatives on your side that you are seeing leveraging what you have created on the blockchain? First and foremost, Shankar, thanks for having me. Within JP Morgan, I lead the digital currencies work globally. So as you and some of your audience might already be aware, we were one of the first financial institution to have cash on chain when we launched JPM coin. That was way back in 2019. So one of my big focus areas is about scaling JPM coin. Back then, we were the only financial institution. Now we have more and more institutions, both financial institutions and others who are warming up to the idea of digital currencies. So that's something which keeps us very occupied. Taking JPM coin and standing up multi-bank infrastructure, multi-bank shared ledger infrastructure, that is again something that we've launched with Partier in 2021. Scaling that up has also been the focus we should be launching that very shortly and at scale. So that's the second initiative I'm most excited to be working on. The other initiatives which would see the light of the day in the more near term would be things like programmable payments, things like settlement synchronization services, things like deposit tokens. So all of these are work that we are doing on the digital currencies front and we've been at it for at least the last four or five years, and it's only gathering pace. 
this is fantastic. And there is a lot of that to uh, process, Naveen. So congratulations. So from an ROI perspective, how are some of those things moving well? Because clearly these are all about efficiencies and having a better mousetrap, a better way to clear, settle and pay and collect. From an ROI perspective, what is your guidance to our audience? Because we know it is going to take the banks to a better state, correct? Yeah, we at JP Morgan have been fortunate enough to have patient capital in terms of launching some of these initiatives. The gestation period for the initiatives that we are working on is fairly long, I must say. And that's because you're looking at rewiring the wholesale banking infrastructure. This is not about where you have basically better UX or you're looking to introduce capability at the periphery. You're looking to rewire the financial plumbing or the financial infrastructure at a wholesale level. So that would be the reason I would say that the ROI would not be immediate. The payback period would not be immediate. But again, what I would want to say in this matter is if you, if you look at the construct of cross-border payments, it has not changed since the 70s. If you think about the advent of SWIFT, how a typical cross-border payment is processed has not changed since the early days of SWIFT. And that is where we think there is a huge opportunity in terms of standing up shared ledgers, standing up a worldwide FI kind of a ledger, which removes the serial nature of how payments are processed, which introduce atomic settlements, which introduce multi-asset ledgers. And that will fundamentally change the entire financial services industry. But that would take some years to come. And institutions like ours and a few of our peers are taking the first steps towards doing it. If you look at any large-scale infrastructure, right? If you look at SWIFT, if you look at Visa, if you look at MasterCard, if you look at CLS, all of these initiatives are something which have been born out of private sector initiative. It started off small before they grew in scale and size. And we see this set of initiatives as being no different. Can't agree more. And each of those initiatives that you mentioned, Capgemini was involved in the traditional way. So because of all the domain and uh, the knowledge of the wiring and plumbing, we are also involved with a lot of these in the digital asset variety right now. So yeah, completely agree. I know that it's very important to do this and we're already doing it in a very regulatory friendly manner. One quick question, is it fair to say that increasingly regulators are embracing this and looking at it in a positive way? Yeah. Skeomorphism as a design concept is something that we absolutely embrace. And just generally to maybe elaborate on that a little bit further, skeomorphism was popularized by Apple when they introduced uh, iPhone, for example, to sort of mimic some of the design choices of the push-button phones which existed at that point in time so that you could make it easier for the uninitiated to adopt uh, this novel piece of technology. We've taken a very similar approach with digital currencies um, on the regulatory front. So we've taken products which are very well understood and we've taken existing legal boundaries and product boundaries. We've taken something like a deposit product and put in a novel ledger beneath that. So we've started to offer a product which is well understood on new rails. So that is one way where we've gotten the regulators comfortable around the world. And this has enabled us to start taking these first steps towards rewiring it. 
you know how hard it is to try to change everything at once. So what we've said is, let's take a product which is well understood. Let's introduce new tech. Let's start proving out the benefits of composability, programmability, always on ledgers. And then let's look at some of the more novel products where you start looking at bearer instruments, bearer tokens. How can you create truly peer-to-peer money? But all of those will take a while. And, you know, you need to be very deliberate in terms of how you approach that. Absolutely. We have this uh, design thinking lab called Frog, where a lot of uh, initiatives like what you're describing uh, get designed with proprietary work we call human-centered design. So totally on the same page with you on that, Naveen. One of the questions is also from our audience is, banks have had a tough time come together. Like with SWIFT, they're all members of banks and so on, but Typically, banks have tried in the past to create industry utilities, but because they also compete and so on, they haven't really succeeded that much. But I think with the blockchain, clearly there are significant opportunities for multiple banks to come together and undertake clearing settlement and even post-trade functions on a blockchain. And what you've achieved in India, for example, to see the large banks there join Onyx for settling interbank US dollar transactions is a very good example. Same with China. How are these things working and how do you see this coming along? Would it extend to other banks in the region? Are you taking a regional approach to this? What are some of your thoughts there? Yeah. And you come to the crux of the issue, Shankar, in the sense that there needs to be a shift in the mindset in terms of the approach towards these technologies. For too long, banks have been very comfortable innovating on their own stacks. And that's the reason why, again, going back to the point I made earlier, cross-border payments, the basic construct of sequential updates of different sets of ledgers, that has not changed. The need of the hour is for banks to start coming together on shared infrastructure. And it is with this in mind, in what has been a departure for JP Morgan, we've actually set up Partier as an entity outside of JP Morgan where we are only one-fourth of an equity owner. So this has Standard Chartered, this has DBS, this has Temasek. And the idea here is to create a neutral venue for standing up this shared ledger infrastructure. So it requires novel vehicles, it requires a novel mindset and and a departure from the current mindset of standing up bank-specific stacks. So I would say that is the first one. Second, consortia has had a mixed record, right? We can't say that consortia in general have been a resounding success. Consortia is hard to do, right? Aligning interests of a large swathe of institutions is hard to do, is hard to sustain. But I think generally the financial institutions, I think, see the need for this infrastructure. For quite some time, they've financial institutions have been under the threat of fintechs, like who who innovated in areas where financial institutions have not been able to do. And this is the opportunities for the entire industry to come together and start creating the rails of the future and to make sure that they continue to be relevant in the world of tomorrow. And uh, what we are seeing, Naveen, is a lot of demand for our uh, interoperability solutions. And one of the things listening to you, it seems that if we fast forward five years from now, then like you're calling out several banks would have their own possible coins, uh, similar strategies. And obviously, the corporates still use multiple banks, but somehow all of the ecosystem have to come together. So are you looking at interoperability as a way to do that? Or uh, the ledgers have to be connected in some other way? Or uh, what are your thoughts there? There are many different dimensions to this. Like what you said, Shankar, interoperability is absolutely critical. 
you have a plethora of chains coming up, digital asset networks, digital currency networks. And without inter interoperability, what you'll end up with is fragmented liquidity. And it's just not about interoperability between these different digital asset and digital currency networks, but also interoperability between the current and the new. Interoperability in the in the payments world with the RTGS infrastructure and the RTP infrastructure and the distributed ledger infrastructure. Without this, I would think that it will be difficult for this new infrastructure to gain momentum and to gain volumes. I do think interoperability and having design patterns to solve for that, whether that is bridges or whether that is wrap tokens, there are various ways to solve for that, but it needs to be done at scale. The holy grail, I would think, is unified ledgers, right? And it's not just us who are saying that BIS has spoken about that, IMF has done some work on that. Unified ledgers where different institutions come together on shared infrastructure, which is not just cash, right, but multi-asset ledgers. I think that's the holy grail, but it will take some doing. You know, we, we started with tokenized deposits and how commercial banking has an opportunity to be a lot more efficient. How do you see from your vantage point as an early uh, leader in this space? Do you see corporates getting a sense for this? And as we are coming out of cybers, especially the theme was all around digital assets and interoperability, several new regulatory uh, initiatives on the blockchain. Uh, how do you see all of this coming together the remainder of 2023 and So when we talk about tokenized deposits, right? Like I, it's not always, the taxonomy on this is not always clear. Uh, so maybe just to have a more generic take on this. Our view is that putting cash on chain or putting cash natively on DLT means that you have the ability to do things like programmability, to do, do things like composability. And once you extend it to multi-asset, to do things like DVP at a more atomic level. And the way corporates, for example, interact with their bank accounts will, will fundamentally change no longer is about having to come to your bank and your bank provided channels to transact. It's about you being, uh, the, the corporates being able to natively interact with their accounts and also to be able to configure rules in terms of how they transact without the intervention of banks. So these are all capabilities which are made possible using, using cash on chain. And taking that a step further, in a world where we can work with the regulators and start going beyond the KYC boundaries and creating more bearer-like instruments, especially with the advances which are being made around digital identity, so that you're not exposing yourself to more KYC or sanctions or AML risk, you're able to mitigate that. Then you're entering into the world of peer-to-peer -peer money, right? Which has always been the end state. So yeah, the journey is quite exciting. The bank account compared to a brokerage account is stuck in the past, right? And there are only so many things that you can do with a bank account. Whereas with a brokerage account, there's so much more in terms of conditionality that you can put on your brokerage account. We see this as an opportunity to get parity, if not even do more than what brokerage accounts do today. Yeah. And, and some of the banks that we consult with, now, basically they have a well thought out digital asset strategy, but there is a lot of complexity in the sense that their systems, especially in the capital market side, have been band-aided in a certain way for the last 200 years. So there is a big desire to rip and replace and automate and get the workflows right before they do the digital asset strategy. And 
what are some of the things you have seen in that space as you embarked on your business strategy? Did you have to rewire everything, go to first principles, rethink everything, or you were able to live with what was there? How does that work? There's always the temptation, you know, in terms of rewiring everything first and, and then launching a spanking new digital assets platform. And you know how hard that can be. You know how hard it is to deliver change within institutions which have grown organically and inorganically over a long period of time. Now, our approach has been, to, as I said, to take small, meaningful steps to embrace coexistence, to embrace interoperability and see how you can start introducing change in the infrastructure as it stands rather than having to wait for a modernization program or a transformation program to yield results before you can embark on digital assets. And any financial institutions can take small measured steps even within the constraints of the current infrastructure, even with the complexity that integration entails. But you can take small meaning full steps towards launching net new capabilities and co-creating with clients. Exactly. Anything else, Naveen, that you want to share with our global audience? Interestingly, a lot of people, there are a lot of believers, but they are very scared to take the first step because of what is involved. And are some of these initiatives at a later stage available as a white label service to smaller banks? I do think that all of those approaches would be there. But again, if you see the activity over the last few months or over the past year, there has been increasing discussion and not just discussion, you'll see increasing initiatives being launched around tokenization of real world assets, tokenization of cash. You see large financial institutions beginning to take the lead in terms of creating this new infrastructure. I do think that it is most exciting. This is not something that any individual institution can solve by themselves. You need the industry to come together. You need to work with the regulatory agencies, and it needs to be a joined up effort. And we've also seen a lot of encouraging work from influential bodies like BIS, IMF, and the central banks actually pushing this through. It's not just the private sector who are trying to move forward with this. So there's a lot of support from the public sector and the agencies as well. And the only way we can truly get this off ground is public-private partnership. And that public-private partnership is increasingly beginning to move beyond experimentation to more um, real-world implementation. Thanks so much, Naveen, for your time today. I'm sure our global listeners learned something that they can take to their uh, everyday workplace. Sincerely appreciate your time and have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. 